Words of the mouth. Versus thoughts of the heart. Words of the mouth versus thoughts of the heart. Do either one of those carry more weight than the other? And why? What's your thoughts? Words of the mouth versus the thoughts of our heart. What do you think? Which one's more important? Which one's more weighty? Because we can say what we want externally, but internally, only we know if our external words match our internal thoughts, right? And I know that there's two sides to consider this. You could say, well, there's power in your words. So even if you don't think it internally, say something externally so that you can help steer the situation or the relationship or whatever. But is there more power in the thoughts of the heart? I just want us to consider that for a moment this morning. And then we're going to go to Luke 2 here in just a moment to consider that in our scripture this morning. So there's a strange reality in our community here, not a strange reality, but it's a reality nonetheless that I've learned over the last number of years. I can go into our streets and visit with strangers or people I know or whatever, and I can ask them very simply, are you a Christian? And what do you think that most people are going to say in Saline County, Arkansas, if I ask that question? Yes. Most people say yes. And in fact, very rarely do we encounter somebody that says no. Very rarely do we encounter somebody that says no. Now, interestingly enough, I've changed my crowds a little bit, and I've been more strategic about who I hang out with. And I've encountered and began to hang out with more people that just very directly say, no, I'm not. But most people in our town, if you say, are you a Christian, they will say yes. But then you ask a different question, and, if you, and we've learned this because we began to ask this one instead of the first one. If you say, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? then many of those who answered yes to the first question say, I don't know, to the second question. What's going on? Aurora, how are you this morning? So if you ask, are you a Christian? Many answer with a yes. If you ask, who is Jesus to you? Many answer with, or they don't have an answer. They don't have an answer. Um, interestingly enough, Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, we talked about him a few weeks ago. We're going to hit on him again this morning. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon knew well before most people did who this baby boy was in his sight. There was a baby boy who had been born from Mary. Father was Joseph. He was there. And before anybody else really knew who this boy was, Simeon had a very clear picture of who he was. So if you ask, G if you ask Simeon, who is Jesus then he would have told you a few different things. 
In Luke 2, verse 26, he calls him the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one of God. He is the chosen one. He is the one that had been prophesied before, that people have been waiting on, the God's chosen one to come and, and restore and redeem the people of Israel. Second thing he knew, he called him the Savior. Simeon said in verse 30, I have seen your salvation, the salvation of the Lord. Now that he has seen this baby boy in Jesus, he said, I've seen the Messiah, I've seen the Savior. And in verse 32, he knows that Jesus is the light of the world. So in Luke 2, Simeon has a very clear answer of who this baby boy is. It's the Messiah, the Savior, the light of the world. But it was what he said in verse 34 and 35 that I want us to look at. Because when I taught on Simeon three weeks ago, this jumped out at me and it really grabbed my attention. I didn't know what to do with it at that point, so I just set it aside and here we are again. So in Luke 2, let's read verse 34 and 35. Simeon talking to Mary here. Talking to Mary, talking to this mother of this newborn. Simeon blessed them and told the mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So much being said in that. So much being said in that. But he said, This baby will be a sign to be opposed that the hearts of many may be revealed. Jesus is to become a sign that will be opposed so that the hearts of many may be revealed. Like, whoa, that's a weighty statement about a baby. It's like, whoa. So let's think about what has become the sign to represent Jesus? What is the sign that just, when you see it, you think, Jesus? It's the cross. It's the cross. Right? He said he will become a sign, and that sign equals the cross. And what does the cross represent? More specifically, what was it? What does the cross represent? Through death. Yes, it's salvation through Jesus' death. So the sign is the cross, and the cross equals Jesus' death. And the question is, what does Jesus' death Say, I've got three really brief things for us to consider this morning. In John 15, 13, it says, This is love. John 15, 13. The cross says, This is what love looks like. It says, No greater love has any man that he would lay down his life for his friends. 
So when we see the cross, we think, Jesus, it's a sign that says this is what love is. That you would lay down your life for your friends. The second thing the cross speaks to us is that sin demands death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And that's what the cross speaks to us. It reminds us and it tells us that. The sign of Jesus says this is what love looks like, that you would lay down your life for your friends. The cross also says the death or that sin demands death. If it didn't demand it, he wouldn't have taken the cross for us. It would have been pointless. If it was optional, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have chose that by any means. But he says sin demands death because the wages of sin is death according to Paul in Romans 6. The last thing the cross speaks to us, it's in 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, Jesus died for me to live for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15. The one died for all so that all who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for him who was crucified and risen again. So the sign is the cross, and the cross equals the death of Jesus. And what is the death of Jesus telling us? That this is what love looks like. It's telling us that sin demands death. And it's telling us that I have died for you, and that you would no longer live for yourselves, but you would live for me. That's what the sign is, the sign is telling us. <clears throat> so I want to play a little game with you here. The game is this. Prove or pose. Because Simeon said that it would be a sign, Jesus would become a sign to be opposed so that the heart of many might be revealed. He would become a sign that would be opposed, therefore revealing the heart. Whoa. So we're going to play a little game called Oppose or Approve, and I want you to think two ways here. Two ways. We're going to ask both, verbally or internally. Because I think those are two different answers. Which one carries more weight, the words of my mouth or the thoughts of my heart? Okay. So sin. Wait, no. First one was love. What does the cross say? It says, love. This is what love looks like, that you would lay down your life for your friends. Nobody has greater love than this that he lays down his life for his friends. Approve verbally? Would you say yes? Approve that. Do you agree to that? Leslie says yes. Everybody else says, you're going to trick me. No, I'm not going to trick you. Do you approve? Do you agree? Would you say yes? Yes, that is, that is love. That is perfect love. That is godly love. That is... That is the image of love, that you would lay down your life, give up yourself for the benefit of another. Yeah, that's love. Yes, I approve that. Verbally, I say that. But internally, what are the thoughts of your heart saying when, when you're being called to give up your life for the good of another? It's like, oh, can't I like, and I, I'm just going to let you hear the thoughts of my heart right now so that you don't feel is bad about vocalizing how evil you are. So here's how evil I am. Verbally, I said, yes, this is love. I agree. 
lay down your life for the good of another. That's love across the board. I subscribe to that. I agree with that. I approve this message. Check. But internally, internally, I want to keep and I want to preserve a little bit of myself. I want to preserve as much of myself as I can while still loving another. So if it's my wife or if it's my kids or, or if it's my friends, if it's my church, Sam, I love you, but I don't want to completely lay myself down because if I completely lay myself down, what's the, what's the potential of that? You might just walk all over me. So can I, internally I wrestle and I say, can I like love you yet not fully give myself? Can I like love you and keep a little bit of myself so that I don't become as vulnerable? And that's what I see internally in my own heart. Like I love my kids, but it's like yesterday we just had a, if anybody that's raised kids, you understand this. Anybody that hadn't raised kids, like, man, you're an awful dad. But yesterday was just like the day of yelling at your family. And, and you're like, dude, Sam's like, what a horrible dad. But those of you that have kids, you're like, those days happen. Why do they happen? Because I want to love them. I do love them. But it's when I have to completely lay every bit of myself down and, and they're just walking all over me. Right? One of the biggest arguments of our day yesterday was the fact that we have done everything we can today to give them a good evening and to have a family time and to do this. And they're just so ungrateful with what we've done. And what the offense is that I feel like I have put myself out there to love them and they have not received it. So now I'm offended and I take it back up. So internally, that's how I feel about love. That's the thoughts of my heart. That's what I wrestle with. Verbally, I subscribe to this. This is love. Internally, I want to keep as much of myself and still love you well. But it doesn't work like that. Because this is love, that you would lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus laid down his life knowing that we would walk over him, knowing that we would avoid, knowing that we would not appreciate, knowing that we would not value. Just for the chance that we might. Right? So the second thing the cross says to us, the sign is speaking to us about sin. In Romans 6.3, says that sin demands death. The wages of sin is death. Subscribe, approve that message? Say, yes, the wages of sin is death. The Bible says it, I believe it, I agree, right? Verbally, would you go there? Some of you are saying, I still don't know. Be honest with yourself. But many of you would say, yes, I was taught that verse. I believe that message. But wait a minute, wait, let's go to the thoughts of the heart. Let's go to the thoughts of your heart. No, wait, I don't want to go to yours. I want to go to mine real quick. The thoughts of my heart say, maybe some sin. Right? Does my day of yelling at my kids yesterday deserve death? Oh, come on. Is it really that bad? Can't I just try harder tomorrow, do better the next time? Doesn't that equal out? Isn't that sufficient? But that's not what the cross says. The cross says the wages of sin is, your, is death. Period. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I heard it said by a pastor one time, say, you deserve death. Everything else is a gift. 
<laughs> right? It's like, externally, yes, I approve. Internally, the thoughts of my heart justify myself. I want to rationalize myself. It's like when you go to apologize for a confrontation, here, here's the wrong way to apologize. Hannah, I am sorry for what I said to you. But if you would have done, oof. but if you wouldn't have done this to begin with, then I probably, right? That's wrong. It's like when I go to my kids and I say, Brant, I'm sorry for yelling at you today. But if you wouldn't have acted like an idiot, <laughs> that's not an apology. You don't understand the weight. That's like saying the wages of sin is death. Unless I can justify myself and rationalize why I did what I did. Right? Hmm. Last thing this cross speaks to us is life. It's life. It's about our life. It says Jesus died. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that one died for all so that all who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died, was crucified, and resurrected. So here's what the cross, here's what the sign, what Simeon said, you will become a sign that will be opposed to reveal the hearts of many. And that sign is saying you no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to me. Mm. You once were a slave to sin. I was crucified to set you free from that. But now you have been bought with a price and you belong to to me. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you're still a slave. You're a slave to God. And you're like, ah. Externally, I'm like, yes, you died for me. Now I'm going to live for you. But internally, you're like, but it's still my money. Mm. You're not my, oh man, really? Um, but I got, but I got this free day. And instead of saying, Lord, what would you do with this day? It's like, I got this free day. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that thing that I haven't been able to do because I got to do all these other things. So this is my day. Internally, that's what the thoughts of my heart say. This is my day. This is my bonus. This is my time. This is my relation. This is mine, mine, mine. But every time I say mine, it's saying, I'm going to live for you. But let me take all these things that are mine and keep them separate from you. My free days belong to me. My extra cash belongs to me. Externally, I approve. Internally, the thoughts of my heart just don't like it. Just don't like it. <clears throat> so I want to ask you one more time. Which one is weightier? The words of my mouth or the thoughts of my heart? Because Simeon looked at, that, looked at that baby just a few days after his birth and he said, wow, I can die. I've seen the Messiah. The salvation of the Lord has come. I have laid my eyes on him. The light of the world is right in front of me. He will become a sign that will be opposed so that the hearts of many will be revealed. And we know that sign through the cross because that is the sign that recognizes, we recognize that that's Jesus. We recognize what he's done for us. And when what he's done for us is laid in front of us, 
it says at least three things. It says this is what love looks like. This is it. And he says, love others as I have loved you. Wow. Wow. So this is what sin costs. Sin demands death, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life that comes through Christ Jesus. And finally, it's, it talks about your life. It says, if you approve, if you don't oppose this sign, then your life no longer belongs to yourself, but it belongs to me. But you wrestle with that. You're like, because you don't really believe that you're a slave to sin. Right? The reason, the reason that becoming a slave to God offends us and we oppose it, we push back against it, is because we don't believe that we are currently slaves to sin. And we don't currently believe that the wages of sin, the cost of sin, is death. We think we can escape it by doing better. We think we can escape it by, by changing our actions. It's not this sin or that sin. It is the weight of sin, the reality of sin that has a stranglehold on us. That affects every element of every thought and every move and every part and corner of our home and every relationship. Every, it's, just, it's just so saturated in who we are. And we don't even recognize it because we're a slave to it. We're owned by it. And if somebody doesn't set us free from it, then there's no hope. But once we're set free, we're not free to live for ourselves so that we might sin all the more, as Paul says. He's by no means, no. I'm free from that. I'm free from this so that I may now live fully from, for this. Free from sin to live fully for Christ. But the sign, man, the sign just comes in front of us and and it reveals the thoughts of our heart. It reveals the thoughts of our heart. And Paul, speaking about whether you notice communion or the Lord's Supper, Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, I mean 1 Corinthians 11 says this, as often as we eat the bread, as often as we eat the bread and as often as we drink from the cup, this is Jesus establishing the Lord's Supper. It's how we call to remembrance what He has done for us. As often as we eat and as often as we drink, He says this, you proclaim the Lord's death. As often as you do this, you are going to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes and he should have said again, because this whole conversation this month has been on Advent, his coming, his arrival. And the Lord's Supper is all about the second Advent. It merges the first Advent, the first coming, and the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. That it says, as long as we living between the two Advents, he has come before 2,000 years ago, he's coming again, we don't know when. We're currently living between the two, and when we take of the bread and we drink of the cup, what we're doing is we are acknowledging what he did the first time, and we're also proclaiming that he's coming again. This is a sign of both advents at the same time, and it's also a revealer of the thoughts of our heart. Because when we have the sign of his body, which was broken upon a cross, and we have a sign of his blood, which was spilt on our behalf, 
then it is a sign calling us to consider those three things we just talked about, therefore revealing the thoughts of our heart. Do I approve or am I currently opposing this message? This table is a revealer of the heart. Hebrews chapter 9, the author says this, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on Him. Christ will appear a second time, not to bear sin again, but to bring salvation on those who are waiting that was the whole concept of the Advent, this, the whole concept of considering Advent in the month of December, the season of Christmas, is to stir your awakening, to stir your anticipation for His coming. That's what it is. It's like as you draw near to Christmas, we want to stir our hearts and our minds to anticipate His coming. But as we come and we eat at this table, it is to stir our hearts towards His second coming that He will return not to bear sin again, but to bring salvation to all who are waiting on Him, not all who are opposing Him. Salvation doesn't belong to those who are opposing it. Salvation belongs to those who are waiting on Him. And as I am presented with the sign of His death, His body and His blood, the thoughts of my heart are revealed and I gotta ask myself, am I trying to oppose him? Or is this stirring my affection as I'm waiting on him? Right? Is it stirring my affection as I'm waiting on him? We may say what we like with the mouth, yet when he arrives again, the thoughts of our heart will be revealed. The thoughts of our heart will be revealed. So I don't want that to be like a, um, as we approach this time where we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, I don't want that to be a time of like frustration and like, man, I just feel really bad about myself right now. <laughs> It's a good thing when the thoughts of our heart are revealed. They're brought to the surface because now we can become aware. No matter what voice, no matter what we've been saying to cover up what we really feel and think, then when the thoughts of our heart are brought to the surface, now there can be healing. Now there can be restoring. Now there can be cleansing. And, and, and that's what this time is about. That you can replace your doubt with faith. You can replace your disobedience with obedience. You can re replace your opposition with approval and saying, yes, I'm in. So as you're presented with this, may the thoughts of our hearts be revealed. I'm going to pray. These guys are going to lead us in another song, and then Mike's going to come, and he's going to uh, lead us through... Um, this time of communion together. Father, we just really in awe of what Simeon said as he stood over this infant boy. As he talked to, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she says, he says that...